we start looking at instances in our life and we start blaming those instances on somebody else. I mean, I grew up blaming everyone else for why I was the way I was, when the truth is I was the way I was because that's the way I wanted to be. You're listening to the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast. Hello, everyone. I am your host, Brittany Nicole, and you're listening to episode three of Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence. Today's guest is Kevin Johnson. Kevin is a Toastmaster, a friend of mine, and just an all-around down-to-earth guy. The purpose of the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast is to bring guests on who are either subject matter experts, global change agents, or everyday average Joes who have changed their life by applying or developing emotional intelligence. And Kevin is that average Joe who has turned his life around by unknowingly developing emotional intelligence. At a young age, Kevin struggled with his self-esteem, he was bullied, and his inability to cope with life stressors led to early alcoholism and addiction. In this episode, Kevin shares his journey through his shift in mindset and emotional control, and we discuss a variety of topics such as self-esteem, relationships, addiction, modern distractions, and so much more. During the interview, I want to point out that you may notice a difference in mic quality. That is because I was using a terrible mic before, but I'll be using this one going forward for all interviews, so you have that to look forward to. But without further ado, here is the interview with Kevin Johnson. Here we go again. <laughs> all right, let's roll with it. Let's roll. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me today on this brand new series. After our first conversation, whenever you helped me answer the Q&A session about public speaking, we kind of continued to talk about emotional intelligence and what it meant to you. So I thought, what a great opportunity to bring you on and share with everyone how this new thing that you now know as emotional intelligence really changed your life and how you see the world around you. So Kevin, would you just first like tell us about yourself, where you're from, what you do um, to get us started? All right, so uh, I'm basically I'm from North Carolina. I've been in North Carolina my whole life and everybody can tell as soon as I open my mouth, they know I'm from North Carolina. I work right now, I'm, I'm traveling FAE, which is a field application engineer and I go and basically do do technical work. I work on traffic and uh, camera systems and stuff like that. And I do a lot of training with that and on the side. And I mean, within the group, I do a lot of training. So there's a lot of technical courses. Where I came from ultimately was, I mean, uh, hands down, I had one of the best families you could ask for. But the problem is, you know, like when you're a kid, I mean, you, you can remember, you'll see something like your room was a lot bigger. Like, I don't know if you moved in different houses when you were a kid, but I did. And I remember like this house that we had was huge and the room was huge that we had. But when I go back now and see it, it's not as big as it used to be. And the same thing applies to these struggles that we face as as children. They may not be as big as everybody else's, but they're big in the sense of at the time you didn't know how to manage it. And I, I didn't know how to manage the social anxiety I'd face in life. I learned that relationships are pretty much like a holding a wet bar of soap. You squeeze too hard, it's going to pop out, and you hold it too loosely, it's dropping. You got to be just right. And uh, I would squeeze too tight, and so I'd lose. There was a lot of things that I, 
and I didn't know how to handle that. I didn't know how to fix it. I didn't know how to make friends. I just felt awkward. And it did lead to, there was some bullying. We, we didn't have, I was one of five kids, so we didn't have many, I mean, money wasn't there. And so it just was, there was some bullying that took place. But like I said, everybody deals with it. I think that was one reason the speech was effective is because I'm telling my story and this person over here may have got bullied in a different way, but to them it was big. That one thing that somebody says to you back then that hits the core of you, that was huge. And that's the way it was for me. And I just didn't know how to handle it. As far as how emotional intelligence is for me personally, there's one thing you said, which kind of got me latched on to a few of your videos was when you made the comment about, we can't control what happens to us. We can, we can only control our response. And that's not just the comment you made. That's something my dad taught me. And that dealt with when I was struggling with the addiction, when I was struggling with whatever, it was, you do what you want to do. You don't let anybody, you, you can't, control everything coming in on you. There's going to be bad things that happen. All that's going to happen, but I can control my response. And for me, it's all about control. I want to have control and I don't, I don't want anything to manipulate me into doing something. I don't want to, I don't want to do. The other thing is it's, it's the blame, the blame game. I don't want to blame anybody else for a problem that I cause. If it's in my field, in my line of work, even, even, even in the technical field, if somebody comes to me and I, I find out something's done wrong, well, the first thing I want to find out is, did I do something wrong? Well, the reason I want to know if I did something wrong is because if I did it wrong, I can fix it. I can control that. If it's something outside of me, I can't. And I, I just like to keep it in that realm. And so when you said that and started talking about emotional intelligence, it reminded me that's something I've been taught growing up, I just didn't know what to call it. And that's a good point. And, and so many people do not know how to take responsibility for their actions. And I feel like with everything that's going on right now with the coronavirus, you see a lot of that resistance to do certain things that people are telling us, the experts are telling us, um, taking certain precautions, and you see a lot of defense come up in a lot of people because they feel like certain things are stripping away their freedom. They don't want to be told what to do, but they don't necessarily look at the bigger picture of, well, why, why would I be doing this? They don't see outside of themselves. Um, you and I have had several conversations about your past and some moments that at the moment awful traumatic and you couldn't see necessarily the light at the end of the tunnel but now in hindsight looking back and seeing the progress that you made through your life by applying these things such as emotional intelligence can you share your story from where you were i guess in your teen years to now and what you learned from that. I wanted people to like me. That's all that mattered. I cared about someone liking me and I put forth a lot of effort in making sure that that happened, but I never 
really thought about showing people that I cared about them. It ultimately, it all was selfish. I mean, we all want to be liked and that in and of itself is a selfish thing. I mean, that right there shows low emotional intelligence, right? When we are looking for that external validation to prove to ourselves that we're somebody. But then being somebody, does that really matter, you know? We are just such a small blip in history. And if, if we're doing things that are not giving and we're just taking, then what are we doing, right? So that's, that's a great point. But I'll let you carry on and, and pick up. <laughs> No, if you, you, well, you're helping me because I'm, you're, you're steering me back on the, the right way of thinking here. One thing that happened is everything that happened to me, I was blaming it. And even, even like the addiction, I blamed it on, you know, you go to these classes and then they say a lot of times if you have somebody in your lineage, in your uh, ancestry that struggled with this, well, you're going to struggle with it, right? And that's ultimately, it's true and it's not true. It, you gotta, you gotta figure out who you are. I don't like the, the pigeonhole mentality and I don't like being pigeonholed to where this is who I am because of where I came from, where you can, you can break that shell. You can, uh, you can be different. And I had where I was, I just, I couldn't stop the constant worry of what everybody thought of me. Of, of the failures and the disappointments and I couldn't stop. And, and the truth is here's, here's the arrogance of the whole thing. You think about, we always want to have a high self-esteem or a high self image or to feel this self-worth. Well, where's the entitlement come from, right? Where do we think that we deserve to have anything? It's this entitled feeling. And what I had is this entitled feeling that I should be treated better than I am. Well, why? It's my biggest question. Why does anybody have to treat me good? Basically get to the place where we, we make ourselves our own idols. Ultimately, if you can go into a room and sit down and sit by yourself and nobody talk to you and you're okay with that, then you're, you've got some emotional intelligence. You have a reserve inside you and you're, you're comfortable. But if you're a person that can go into a room and nobody talk to you and you don't want them to talk to you, that's a whole different thing. But if you can sit there and be comfortable in your own skin, and then when somebody else comes walking up and you start talking with them, and, and you can just carry on back and forth, then it's, it's fine. So I want to kind of go a little bit deeper into what you said about where does this entitlement come from? Where do you think it comes from? Why do you think the majority of people in our society have that need to be idolized? Feel that entitlement. Where do you think that comes from? I think it's just our our nature, really. I mean, we just have this nature to be the alpha. <laughs> to be the alpha, to be the the one that everybody to be praised, to get affirmation just to keep moving forward. And the problem with that, the failure in that is you're you're reliant on something external. You're relying on on somebody else to give you affirmation to make it to the next day, right? And one thing my dad taught me, and this is where emotional intelligence comes from, that I didn't realize you had a name for it, and that's, that's what it is. But one of the things was when it came to drinking in and of itself and the, the addiction and, and all the stuff that was holding me down, it, my dad was letting me know, you gotta 
you got to do this because you want to do this. Something could happen if all of a sudden my, my dad passes away. If he is my source of worth, people are, our friendships and our relationships, all of them are pretty much like waves in the ocean. They're here for a moment and they're gone. They're here for a moment. And I know you can think of a friend that at one time in your life, assumption here, that at one time in your life, you probably had a friend that you, you were like this with. And you never thought that would go away. And then all of a sudden you look back and you hadn't talked to them in five years. Oh yeah, several times. And what happens if they were your source of, of self-worth? It's, it's gone. And um, it's, so we're preparing ourselves for failure. We're preparing ourselves to fall empty. And I think we're passing the blame a little bit because then when they're gone, we start looking at instances in our life and we start blaming those instances on somebody else. I mean, I grew up blaming everyone else for why I was the way I was when the truth is I was the way I was because that's the way I wanted to be. Same thing. Someone asked me, they'll say, you got to redefine and I'm trailing off into something else here, but you got to redefine how your inner dialogue. Okay. I can tell if someone asked me, I play guitar and they'll say, well, how long have you been playing? And I have the same answer and say long enough to be better than I am, but I don't want to be better than I am. And the reason I say that is not because I don't desire it, but I don't desire it more than I desire watching a TV show. I don't desire it more. You do what you want to do with the hours that make up your day. And if I really wanted something, then I'll go for it. When you change your dialogue like that, then you put all the blame on you for not achieving what you want to be to not doing what you want to do. I'm not a great, so if someone tells me, I wish I play guitar, well, you might wish it. Do you want it? Well, yeah, I want it. No, you don't. If you want it, you go and you do something about it, right? Oh, gosh. I love that. Like, I, seriously, I love that so much because especially right now when people are in quarantine, they have more time on their hands because they're not going out with their friends, they're not doing things after work, they aren't taking their kids to practice the way they may have before a dance rehearsal or whatever it may be, right? So people have all this extra time on their hands, yet you still find the people that always said, I wish I had time to read. I wish I had time to learn this new skill set. I wish, I wish, I wish. And just like you said, well, if you really wanted it, you would find a way to do it. All of us have the exact same hours in the day. Every single one of us. And you can't say, well, they're more intelligent than I am because most of the things that you want to do doesn't take a high IQ. It takes commitment and your willingness to make the time for it. And if people realize how much time, because people truly believe that they are busy, they really genuinely believe that they don't have time in their day. And that's because they're not aware of all the time that they're spending scrolling on social media, doing these, you know, three minutes here, doing something random or pacing the floor or, you know, even going from one room to the other of your house and then, oh shoot, I forgot, I need to go back upstairs and get this. And then they come downstairs, oh man, I forgot, I need to go do this now. And so they're not, they're not present, they're not organized. They're scatterbrained and so is their time. Their time is scattered. 
But if they really consolidated and managed their time appropriately and really wanted to make time for those things, they could. So you brought up so many good points. We want to play the victim a lot. We don't want to take ownership. We want to play the blame game. We're egocentric. I mean, you see it every day in our society, all these deficiencies of low emotional or, sorry, deficient in emotional intelligence, right? We're exhibiting low emotional intelligence everywhere. Um, so tell me, how. what was the wake-up call for you? How did you go, and, and let's actually take it back a little bit further, because I don't think we've really, I know your story, but I don't think you've really shared your story yet with the audience exactly what happened and how you became addicted to alcohol and all of those things, and then kind of what was the what was the wake up point for you? Well, how the the how of the addiction was pretty much it was as simple as trying it, and all of a sudden my brain shut off, and I liked having my I liked the quiet, I liked it being quiet, and. Uh, and that's that was where the addiction was. I was I was addicted to the silence that that would be, which is all the things that come into your head. And there's, and I I do I feel bad for these kids nowadays. I mean, it's even worse now with all the the social media and stuff. I mean, a kid's not just bullied at school anymore; they can't escape it, and it's a it's tragic. But it's ultimately what happens, you know, is you're. It's that inner dialogue. And what the change for me was my, my addiction. It was what got me up in the morning and it's what laid, laid me down at night. I was, I was young. I mean, I think back now and it felt like, you know, I felt like an old guy then, but I was just a kid and I would wake up at five o'clock in the morning. I'd tell my mom I had detention or something. I had early school and I would go and which was normal. <laughs> it was a normal thing. So I, and I would go and I'd park my truck on a hill and I would just sit there and just prepare for the day and get myself nice and sauced up for it. And I would stay like that. Somehow I managed a job throughout it. If when I got in trouble and I wanted to keep my money, um, I started figuring out other ways to make money. So my parents would see a flow of money coming in from my job but wouldn't know to be keeping track of that. Everything I did was based on keeping that alive and keeping that addiction alive to who I dated, who I hung around with, everything was around that. And it's not just, that's the way the same addiction goes on today. I mean, it's just in a different, it may be alcohol for somebody else, maybe drugs, it may be social media, it's the same thing that that is, that is your motivation to get up in the morning. That is getting the likes on a post. I mean, I've, I've been, I put a post out there and I don't know if you've done it before where I put a post and then you get up in the morning and say, man, someone's got to like this. That was funny. You know, and, it, and there's this addiction that takes place. But when you're looking for that to get through the day, then you got a problem. And that's where I was as far as the wake up call was getting out of that, getting on the other side of that. I didn't want to go back to it. I knew what it was like. I knew the, the dark hole it was and what it, 
what it took from my family, what it took from the people around me, and basically where it was leading me. My dad took me for a walk after I got in trouble. I, I was in trouble again, and he took me for a walk, and I told him everything while I was, why I did what I did, why I'm, you know, our family, dad, you know our family had this problem. People in our family have this problem. It's just, it's me. It's a beast I have to feed, and I was telling him all this going down, and he listened so calmly, patiently, and he walked me, walked me. At the end of it, he stopped and said, well, that's a bunch of crap. You do what you want to do. And, but what he did after that is he started telling me things about himself and he wouldn't want me to share and I'm not going to, but he started telling me things. And I realized that I was my father's child. But what it did for me was I was, he has this resolve about himself that he don't look back. If he, if he made a mistake, he made a mistake, deal with it, move forward, deal with it move forward and he has that persistence about him and persistence is one of the things that that's going to win over knowledge that's going to win over everything if you're just persistent persistent and he was always like that and I, and I realized I was him and for a moment it was defeating that he had the same problem I did but on the other way I saw that I was him and I'm like he got out of it well so can I and I knew if this worked for him, then it would work for me. And I need to figure out how to stop letting other people, letting them be the excuse for the direction I decided to go with my life. If, if you like me, I, I, I've known you a bit and we seem to have a pretty good friendship. But to be honest, and I mean this in the, the, the most candid and nice way possible, if all of a sudden you didn't like me, I'm sorry. I wish I could do anything. I wish I could, you know, fix it. Did I do something? I'd find out if I did something wrong. Did I say something wrong? Once you get past that, um, it really makes things a lot easier, a whole lot easier. That's very true. Yeah, that's true. Like, you shouldn't need anyone. I hear so many people say, and I'm sorry if you can hear my dog snoring or if he starts to bark because he's asleep right now. He tends to dream and bark in his sleep, so. <laughs> but I hear so many people talk about their significant other and say, you know, I just don't know what I would do without you and you're my better half. And I can't say that about my husband. Like, I love him. I wouldn't want to be without him, but I could live without him because I'm a whole person He's not my other half. We're two holes that work really well together. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but so many people look at me sideways when, and, and think, how could you say that? Like, you are each a half that made a whole. And I'm like, I mean, I, I was a whole person before I met him. He was a whole person before he met me. We complement one another, but we're not dependent on one another. And I think that's so important. Just as you were saying that if you lost your dad and he was your source for your happiness and fulfillment and the person that tells you that you're somebody and you're worth it and you lose that person, then what do you have? So you have to have that self-compassion and self-love. I have two children and for, for my wife, I don't want her to be so dependent. It's nice 
to, to know that you're wanted around. It's nice to know that you, you do help somebody's life and help it be better. This is another thing I learned from my dad. I want her to, if something happens to me, they're dependent on her and for her to keep moving and keep going. And I've seen so many people, or even people that I've never lost a child and heaven forbid anything like that happened, but I've watched it. It's destroyed marriages. It's destroyed um, people as a whole when it happens. And then I've seen some people that it happens to that get this resolve and they, their marriage gets stronger or something like that happens. And the reason that is, is they didn't let that be the, and when you get into couples, I mean, they didn't let that child be the thing that holds them together. Right. I think the root of that goes back to the idea of a, this idea of a soulmate. You got somebody out there and I think kids mess up doing this. They go and they're, they're waiting for that perfect somebody. Well, they're not perfect. Here's where the failure takes place. So you got this idea man, this one perfect somebody out there, one perfect somebody out there. Well, that may not be the case. I mean, we joke about it. Me and my wife joke about it where, because she was born, I think like nine months, nine months after I was born. So it's like, it was like when I came and we joked and said, well, that's when you said, all right, well, we're going to, we're going to put another one. And then y'all two can go on. And that's what I thought we joke about it. But the truth is we met each other. We knew each other, but there were a lot of things that could have taken it another route. And at any point, either one of us could have chose somebody else. Well, after I've chosen somebody else to commit and make a promise to and stick with, well, it, it's there. Whether you like it or not, you didn't miss your soulmate. You didn't do anything. You got somebody and that person is human just like you. Would it be grand if you could learn to love them and they can learn to love you. And then all of a sudden, you, you, you get that together, but this idea that there's a soulmate, well, what happens? You got this grandiose idea of what this person will look like, how they're going to act, how they're going to do, and they're going to take you and you're going to, everything's just going to be this big fairy tale your whole life. And then all of a sudden you walk in the house and he, he just didn't turn on the fan in the bathroom. And you're like, really? <laughs> <laughs> you're just supposed to smell like flowers all the time. And then the image that you had gets let down. And what happens is you start all the things that you thought were great when you first saw this person. Is then you start putting up pictures of all the things you thought are bad. And you start, it, then all you can see is the bad. Because you had an idea that you, that you were marrying somebody that didn't exist. Or that you're dating somebody that didn't really exist. And you made... And it was all selfish. It's still the expression puppy love. Now, I don't know where the root comes from, but the, it's, it's a selfish idea. People love puppies, period. You put a picture of a puppy on the internet and people just like it. Doesn't even, it just puppies. They just love it. But not as many people like dogs, right? Because my kids want a puppy, but I don't know if they're ready to take care of a dog these uh but the reason we like puppies a lot of times the reason people do like i mean i ain't gonna say everybody not everybody's like this but it's what the puppy does for them you ask them why why do you love them why do you like that puppy well they like it because when they touch it it feels soft you know or it, it snuggles to them where it does this it's all about what the puppy does for them not what they can do for the puppy right that's true yeah well yeah and so we that's the way when someone starts dating somebody, I met this guy and he's great. 
you don't understand. His eyes are dreamy. He just makes me feel great. He bought me presents or he does this or he, he holds me this way. Oh, and they get all excited about these things like this. That's selfish. What are you going to do for him or vice versa? What are you going to do for her? He talks about her and how gorgeous she is or whatever. It's, it's still selfish. It's not about what can I do for this person. It comes from looking at somebody else and saying, you know what? They need somebody to love them. They need somebody to care about them. So I'm going to care about them. And it goes back to that same principle where I, my whole life, I was wanting people to like, me. and that's a road that leads to destruction. Now I want some, I want somebody I love and I have that to, I have children. I can show I love. I have a wife. I can show I love. And I got other people around me. I can show them. I have the privilege to show them I love them. I got people that I want them to know that I like them. When I leave the room, I want them to feel for me that I genuinely care about them. And if I didn't get that across, then, then that's my failure. If you don't like me, I hope it's not because I didn't come across that I don't like you. I have to agree. And you can see that not just in relationships. When I started my first business, to me, it was all about why are you not hiring me? So I would get extremely offended and outraged when these potential clients would choose someone else. I would talk so negatively about the other photographers, not to the clients or not, you know, them directly, but I would say to myself, like, what do they have to offer that I don't? When I look back, it was all selfish. I didn't care anything about the couple. To me, it wasn't about them. It was about me, right? This is my business. I want to make money. And if you don't like my work, then you must have terrible taste. And I know that it sounds terrible, like me speaking about it now, because it really was like, my mindset just was not in the right place. And instead of trying to learn from that, I wanted other people to come meet me where I was at. And that right there in and of itself is a deficit of emotional intelligence because I believe that my world revolved around me. And that's the way I feel like the majority of society feels today. So yes, this selfish behavior can be seen in relationships, it can be seen in work, in school, in all of these elements of our life. And it takes emotional intelligence, it takes self-awareness to um, identify when we are acting in these ways. Yet I never really thought about it in the way that you just described about the soulmate. From the very beginning, at a young age, watching especially Disney movies where there's a prince and a princess and they live happily ever after, we have this vision in our mind of what life will be like when we're all grown up and adult and finding that perfect person to make our dreams come true and live happily ever after. We set ourselves up for failure, essentially, because when that doesn't happen, we often are disappointed, we're upset, um, or we throw in the towel and say, this relationship isn't working because the person fell short of this ridiculous, unrealistic, high expectation that we set for them. I mean, if you think about any friendship you've, you've had, any, um, any relationship you have in life, it's if, if the two parties in the relationship would do their best to show the other one that they care, yes. then 
you're not going to have a problem. It, it's going to be stronger because you're not constantly looking for something to take, 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 take. And when a relationship falls apart, and this is any relationship, when a relationship falls apart, and you, it happens with parents and children too. I've watched parents who have used their children, um, a mom who all of a sudden, because she can put it out there, it, it, her child beside her in a picture or something, and then put some big post. And then what they don't see is when the picture's gone. All right, go back to your game. Go back to what you're doing. And I, I think you brought up a good point where it starts at an early age, like with the fairy tales. I mean, I joke about Beauty and the Beast because I like the Beast more than the other guy at the end, you know, when he changed. I, you know, I got a daughter, so I know them all, and I had sisters. And so um, what I joke about is, like, what happened after – well, after Ariel got her voice, you know, how did that go? <laughs> you know, over, over the time, how did – how did the first argument go? Did he ever tell her, you know, I wish you didn't, couldn't speak again or whatever. And then you got the beast and how did it go? You don't see the day after. All of a sudden, Belle, who fell in love with this big brawny beast. And then all of a sudden, now she's got this guy who, you know, he's, he's well manicured and prints and all this. Did it, she, she sometimes just like, eh, I don't know. I don't know about him. You know, it, it, you never see the moment after. Right. You know, and so people just see it's happily ever after and it's done. And that's, that's not it. That's not the way love is. That's not the way anything is. So let's transition um, from unrealistic expectations and relationships to unrealistic expectations on social media. So we look at influencers or Instagram models and it's like everyone is trying to be someone. Everybody wants to be idolized in a sense, and they want to present this perfect avatar to the world, right? And when I see people doing this and taking all these pictures and always locked into their devices, it really saddens me. Like it really does. Um, and I think back to when my husband and I went on our honeymoon. So we went to Thailand and we were in Phuket and we wanted to, we we're taking a ferry from Phuket to the other side of the Gulf. And it was like a two and a half hour ferry ride. As we're taking this ferry ride, there's like all these limestone pillars sticking out of the water. Like it's, it's beautiful. And that's, that's the primary reason I wanted to go because like you, you just don't find those here. So anyways, we're on this ferry ride. People, like over half of the people on this ferry were taking selfies probably for three quarters of this trip. Like, and I'm not talking about just taking pictures of the scenery. It was selfies. It wasn't just women. It was equally men, which was really shocking to me. And again, I told you, I'm a people watcher. So I'm like fascinated. But honestly, not only was I fascinated, I was kind of angry. I was angry that people were so self-absorbed that they were missing out on all the beauty that was around them. They weren't living in the present moment. People are living for the moment, but they're never living in the moment. It's ironic because the very thing that they're trying to capture and experience is the thing that they're completely missing out on. And they seem to be chasing this happiness. They're completely ignoring that what they're looking for is all around them. 
and they're completely missing it. And we're going to have to get out of these egocentric bubbles that so many of us are, are living in all around the world because we're never going to be able to find happiness if we're trying so desperately hard for it. I mean, what are your thoughts? Well, my wife would tell you that I don't like, if we go to something where my kids are in it, I don't want to be the one family. It's it. The problem is I don't, my phone's here. So, but let's take this for example. I don't want to experience the, the, this in 2D or I want to be there and, and take it all in myself. Um, I had to remove like 1600 pictures on my phone. Most of them were wasted just where I took like 10 or 15 pictures of the very same thing of trying to catch my son doing something, you know, really cool. When I could have just snapped, I mean, the old pictures, I got some pictures that I cherish that not many, I mean, there's not many from when I was a kid. There's pictures there that I cherish. There's a picture of my dad, my grandpa, and me. And that picture, I just, I cherish it. It was a picture that somebody probably just snapped. The truth is we're more than pictures. And the reason that was, that was taken. And then there wasn't like a hundred different takes of it. There wasn't, you, you can be at an event and totally miss the event. And you live the event within your phone, looking through a screen, taking pictures of the event. The, if, even scenery pictures. I really wonder why, why would I go to the Eiffel Tower and take a picture of the Eiffel Tower? when I get to see the Eiffel Tower, you know, I mean, I could take a picture. What am I going to do with that picture? Oh, this is, it's, it's just a picture, but experience it and be there. Um, I think we miss that. I think we're losing a lot of that because we're so consumed with, with, with saving the memory. We're so consumed with saving the memory that we lose the memory. Yes. It's ironic. The very thing that we are trying to preserve we are really not experiencing it all. And it, I, I got pictures. I don't even remember where I took them. I just got pictures. And it's, it's all because of this brevity of life. You know, we just, we don't want to get somewhere and then not have a memory of it. And it's just, um, it's sad, really. And back to what you were saying about the media post, you'll see somebody post something. And I like to, if somebody texts me, LOL, I like to text back, really? Did you, you know, because did you really laugh out loud or is it just, we've gotten used to, and the younger generations even more so now here I am sound like old couple, but the, we've gotten used to expressing our emotions through a screen and we've lost them on our faces. It's an addiction. I mean, that's what it is. It goes back to, it's an addiction. And when you put it down and you start just trying to, Enjoy the moment. I, I encourage anybody to go on a trip with people and don't take any, don't take any pictures. Just take every moment in. You're going to have a memory of it. If the memory leaves you, you might have bigger problems to worry about. I mean, you, you know, you're not, someone could show you a picture and you'll look at the picture and not remember anything about it. We can't stop time. It's going to keep clicking and keep moving. So you might as well just live in the moment you're in. If you live in the future, you're going to have anxiety. And if you live in the past, you're going to be depressed. We're just not living now. We're not living here. And learning to live here in the moment you're in 
and not be thinking about other moments. Said so a picture is great. I mean, it, it'll it'll remind us of something. It's a, a nice scent. You know, it's like walking in, you catch a whiff of something, and it reminds you. It takes you back to a moment. It's a a frozen moment in time. There's a certain beauty to it. You know, I I love pictures in terms of documenting, but I don't go overboard with it. If my husband and I go on a trip or just go somewhere, I'll ask someone to take a picture of us. And it's crazy because I'll hand them the phone and they'll, you know, be clicking away. I'll get it back. And there's like, there's like 50 pictures that they had to have taken within a matter of like a minute or even less. And it just, it blows my mind. And I know why people do this now with like constantly taking pictures because people get unsatisfied with the first couple pictures. You're like, oh, can you take another one? I didn't like this. Like, let me turn this way. And, and I don't even see the change when they do that. It's like you, you moved your hair just a little bit or you turned to the side. I don't care. I don't care how my hair looks. I don't care if my body is turned in the way that makes me look the most fit and flattering. I don't care because it's not about that for me. It's about documenting the moment. And the rest of the moment, I want to be there in the present experiencing that moment. So you're talking about, um, back to the picture you're talking about with your grandfather and you as a child. And you said how you cherished that picture. It was a candid picture. It brought you back to that memory and what you were doing at that moment. And I love candids too. It's a frozen image in time. And people are trying to recreate these candidates that aren't even real. In my book, there's an, entire, there's an entire section about this. And it talks about, you know, how nowadays people are more anxious, they're more depressed, they're more lonely than they've ever been before. They're not happy. They're reporting lower levels of happiness and contentment. So when people look back at their social media, uh, accounts and they see all of these pictures and all these experiences. They're like, wow, I was so happy back then. You know, I wish I was this happy now. When the truth is, they were no more happy then than they are today. The difference is that they forget that all of those pictures that they're looking back on, they're counterfeits of the life that they want to have, but they don't have. So they're really no more happy. And on top of that, whenever we're living through our devices and constantly wrapped up in capturing the moment, we're not living the moment. And a big part of living in the moment is absorbing all of that sensory data and information that there is to tie to that memory. So for example, you can think of, you know, when you were a child, um, maybe walking into your grandmother's house and smelling a fresh apple pie and maybe the hint of pine saw um, from mopping. While pine saw may be not a pleasant scent or smell, it brings back pleasant memories because you have those memories at your grandmother's house. So all of these senses tie into that memory and that's how it's encoded in the brain. But when we are just constantly taking pictures and looking at our devices to say, is this a good picture? Is this what I want? We're missing out on everything, all the beauty around us. So there's been people who 
have realized this, realized how unhappy they are and that their social media engagement is aiding in that. Now, social media, the internet, in and of itself is neutral. That's, that's a topic for another day. But the way that we are using it and having a deficit in emotional intelligence is aiding in this. It's all about how we're using these tools. But when we have a population of 90% of people, statistically speaking, who are low in emotional intelligence, that's like leaving a child alone in a kitchen with burners and knives. Like things can go horribly wrong. And that's what's happening in our society today. Things are going horribly wrong because we do not have the emotional intelligence to effectively use the tools that we have created and that we have been provided. So some people who are now aware of how unhappy they are based on their usage of social media um, and their obsession around it have decided to disconnect and do this challenge. I think it's like a week long challenge without social media, right? As far as I am aware, at least everything that I have read on it and all the people that I personally know that have done this, all of them report being significantly happier, being less anxious, less depressed, all of this from just detaching for one week from social media. Now, regardless of whether the data says that it's effective in reducing anxiety and depression and increasing happiness, regardless of all the testimonials, there are still going to be those people that refuse to give it a chance. Many of us, unfortunately, have to figure these things out on our own. We don't try to learn from others' mistakes. And this, again, is a deficit in emotional intelligence. And I know I keep harping on this, but it all goes back to thinking that we know better than the rest of the world and collective society. We think that we have all the answers, and we don't. It's only until we learn um, for ourselves that we've had a breaking point and we, we desperately need to try something that will even open up. And I know that you have been there yourself, not with social media, but with other things. And you've also been asked to speak to others to get them to see the light that you finally saw. Would you mind sharing your experience and, and how you handle speaking with others? Yeah, it's um, I think sometimes we, I mean, we're the hero in our own story, right? With that, whenever someone else is going through something, we think that maybe if we talk to them that we can, we can change them with our words. We can, we can do this. And ultimately, it's going to boil down to that person. And part of my experience as I was a teenager and, and where the broken part in my head was, I labeled people anyway. And if anybody tried to help me, anybody tried to do anything for me, I would look at their motive. I would always question their motive. And then my dad, as good as I talk about him here, I had in my head that the only reason he wanted me to stop what I was doing was to make him look good. He didn't want to go through life with, with this wayward child. And that was not the case at all. I'm sure he didn't want that, but it was all for me, not him. And it's like that with my mom too. And I, And so if anybody tried to help me at all, if anybody tried to do anything, I would always assign a motive to him that would make them not worth listening to. So having that in mind, I did have a, a guy that I spoke with who was, uh, he had an addiction issue and I knew that I could tell him everything under the sun. And regardless, 
regardless, if, if you and I, if you were in a car accident and I was in a car accident, right? And I told you about my car accident and how I hurt from it. Well, you'll tell me about yours. And I guarantee you in both of our minds, we're thinking no one's had it quite as bad as we have. I've done this with multiple people. I, when I walk in there and I start to talk to them, I know that they're not going to listen to me. Doesn't matter what story, doesn't matter what story I try to share with them or anything because they're going to assign a motive to my actions. And um, basically those instances, a lot of times, and people may criticize this, but I'll tell them that's exactly what I know you're going to do. I'm not going to tell you about my story. I'm not going to tell you about my life. I'm not going to tell you about, I could, I could go through and tell you where this path is going to lead you, but you think right now that you've got it worse than anybody else and nobody quite understands. I said, the fact is it's, it will lead you down the wrong path. When you come to realize that, just call me, you know, we can, we can talk then, but I know ahead of time, it's not going to, nothing I say to you right now is going to help you. So live in your own self pity and I'll, I'll be hard with them and walk away. And normally they'll come back around. They're so used to people trying to tell them their story. They're so used to all the normal stuff. They're just not used to somebody just telling them, okay, well, you want to be a bum, be a bum. And you, you'll get what bums get. I'll help you when it comes, but I'm not going to waste your time or mine trying to tell you about my life. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on those individuals who um, talk to someone till they're just blue in the face and they find themselves giving the same advice over and over and over again, like a broken record, only to have the person that they are speaking with ignore their advice or say that they're going to take their advice, but they never actually do. Um, and this person gets upset and angry when this person never takes their advice, yet they keep giving the same advice. So why do you think people do that? Because it's exhausting. That's ego. That's all it is. Well, I told them, I talked to them. I wanted to be the one that whenever, whenever they get out of this, that I'm the one that they talk about, man, so-and-so came by and talked, spoke with me and they walked me through this. And if it wasn't for you, you know, all this, it's ego and ego is, it's, it's so damaging to us. It, it leads us into so many stupid places in life. I, I can say, I rough, I'd say 90% of the real struggles I've had in life is ego, ego. It's, it's your ego gets damaged. That's why you get mad in an argument. Somebody damage your ego. That's why when that somebody tries to tell you to do something, you don't want to listen to them because you want to be the one that says, no, no I'll figure it out. <laughs> I'll put together a, a Lego thing with my son the other day and it had like 90 some different things to it and it had an instruction manual and I'm going through this thing and I'm like, well, I'm going to go ahead along with this because he knows I got a technical job. I'm smarter than him and I want to show it. <laughs> and so, but I, I wanted to, you know, impress him and that I'm, I was like, all right, I'm going to move along. I'm going to start doing this. And I want to keep going. And he said, Dad, that piece don't go like this. I said, yes, it does. It goes just like the other one. He said, no, it doesn't. Now, he's eight, to tell you how embarrassing this is. He said, no, it doesn't. He said, read the instruction. Read the instruction. I said, I don't need it. I can look at the picture. He said, read it right there. That's what it says. And it, he was right. But it's my ego. That's what keeps me from saying, I don't need a guide. I can figure this out myself. When, when it comes to people's life, they're kind of like that. I mean, you, 
we we see them as this puzzle that we can fix and that we could come in and and do something with them. We want the credit. We want to be the one that finally pieces this thing together. I mean, it's been frustrating everybody. We want to be the one to get the praise for fixing it. And even if it's not the praise from other people, even if it's not the praise from the person itself, it's that internal praise that I did this for them. If they don't listen, then then we take that personally. It's it's selfish. It's all selfish. And my question then is, why did you do it to begin with? Why? It, and and I'm guilty of it. I mean, all all the things. My yeah. frustration for everything I'm saying is because it's things that I've done. And you, you asked me at what point did it change? Well, there is no point. There is no moment where all of a sudden it was a man. The lights came on. And, and now all of a sudden I, I learned, no, it's, it's constantly this walk where you just like, but you just, you try to keep getting back up and say, all right, well, well that was a, a big mistake. I'm so glad you brought that up because I always tell people it's a gradual process. Don't beat yourself up when you don't see results overnight. You may take one step forward and two steps back, but then you may take three steps forward and one step back. The whole point is you're making progress. It's when you take that one step back and then you just decide to give up and throw in the towel, that's when we face defeat. And, and if you always play the victim, you'll never take anything away. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta own it and deal with it. Yeah. So I, I love the raw direction this discussion has taken. I think viewers and listeners can relate to these stories and get a lot out of this. So I want to thank you for your candidness and, uh, do you have any final thoughts you would like to offer? Final thought, I guess, for people listening to this or going through is don't spend your time living in the past, the future live in the moment and in that moment focus more on showing your care for other people put all your energy in showing them expressing to them how much you care about them with no strings attached no expectation of anything in return try that see what difference it makes the result is they start to like you they start caring about you more and you may find out they want to show you gratitude but if you do it for the gratitude you can't expect it and there's, there's no greater gift than a, a love with no strings.